you pray with me? Father God, we come before you as you receive our worship. God, we pray that we honor your name. And Lord, you are worthy of receiving this praise that comes from us. And we only have access to you, we admit, because of what your son Jesus has done as he becomes that foundation of love through which we're able to love you and love one another. So God, we thank you for who you are, what you've done. Lord, hear our worship, we pray. May it honor you and guide us as we look into your word. Strengthen us, direct us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. As Josh said, we are in the first Sunday of three Sundays on the topic of worship. And worship is critical. You know, I've been preaching for a lot of years, as you can tell by looking at me. And there were many messages that I have preached that have sort of a temporal value. They sort of help us this week with this problem, whatever that may be, relationships or feelings that I have in my heart. And they become a place of ministry, and and they help me until the next problem or the next issue comes around. Today's message is not just temporal in its value. It is eternal. The things we're going to be talking about here this morning, the things we're going to experience, the songs that we're going to sing, have eternal value. Because in heaven, we will constantly be worshiping God. What we learn about worship here on earth is to help, in some ways, to prepare us for the experience of worshiping God in heaven. In some ways, this is our training ground so that when we get to heaven, we can worship God in the fullness and say, yes, Lord, we have learned some of these things already. In fact, I like to say that we should walk so closely before God in worshiping Him that we have to change as little as possible once we enter His heavenly home, honoring Him in worship. We should be able to say in heaven, yes, Lord, I learned about that on earth. And now what a joy to be with you as I worship you. So this morning it is all about worship. We built it around Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So everybody should have a breath that allows them to praise the Lord. And, and this breath is sort of like as oxygen gives my body life, worship should give life to my soul. It should enlighten me. It should develop me. It should grow me into a better follower of Jesus Christ. So we are, we are here to worship Him. We're here to remember Him. So there's a number of things we need to remember. But I was intrigued, first of all, by a survey that was taken just last week. In fact, the results were published last week. And it asked, why do Americans go to church? And uh, here are some of the answers that were given, which you look at them and, frankly, they're, they're satisfying. For example, why do Americans go to church? Well, 83% said, I want to be close to God. And that's a good thing. We would commend that. To make me a better person, 68% said that. And we would say, that's a good thing as well. To comfort me, 67%. We're all in agreement we want to be comforted because we go through a lot of issues during the week, this should be a place where I am comforted. Continuing on, sermons are valuable. 60% said that, which is encouraging if you're a preacher. 
but to realize that 40% of you just don't care right now. So, so we get that. 31% go out of religious obligation. They feel guilty if they don't go, and so they come, okay? 16% come because they want to please their spouse. And if you're here because you're pleasing your spouse, I'm just saying to say, I'm glad you're here, and I don't care that that's your motivation. We're just glad you're here. And then 19% want to meet new people, and that's a good thing too. We should be a community that we need the body of Christ. We need one another. Our theme of being better together, all those things are good things. So I'm not going to downplay the importance of that list, and the list went on. And there are a lot of great things. But let me just draw uh, one observation. The observation that I have on this survey, there's one common theme. They're all about me and what I get out of coming to church. Comforted, meet friends, ease my guilt if I don't go. I want to be closer to God. I'm not saying those aren't good qualities. They're great. But let me think through with you what God says should be the ultimate reason as to why I go to church. Let me help set it up by going back in the Old Testament to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, God is coming to visit Abraham, and Abraham has been walking with God for many years now. And so he has been declared righteous by God. He is a faithful follower of God. He has built a what we call the Abrahamic covenant, where God has promised to bless the Jewish people who are the people that descended from Abraham with a land, with seed, with blessing. I mean, he is richly and righteously walking with Almighty God. Then God comes to Abraham in the midst of his walking with the Lord, and this is the conversation. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he says, I'm here. I'm available. I love you, God. You've done great things for me. He was a very powerful man in those days. And here's what Abraham is asked. God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And I want you to offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, if God came to me and says, Dave, I want you to take one of your daughters and offer her as a sacrifice on Saddleback Mountain, I'm not going to be too thrilled about that. In fact, I'm going to rebel. But here's Abraham. God comes and says, I want you to give to me the son whom you love, your only son, not Ishmael, who was from Hagar, but your son that came through Sarah that I promised and blessed you with, and I gave that son to you, and so now I want you to bring him to me, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, for, for you and me in today's society, that sounds like a horrendous, unknowable you know, thought to ever have. In those days, it was not uncommon for those of paganistic worship experiences to sacrifice their own children in a fire. Many times in Scripture you'll see, and they, they passed the children through the fire. Even the Israelites did it later in years. So now God is saying, Abraham, I want you to do that with your child. And Abraham began the journey from Beersheba in the south, 45 miles climbing up to Jerusalem. That's where Mount Moriah is. So he goes to Mount Moriah. He's standing on Mount Moriah. 
And Mount Moriah is the mount upon which Solomon built a temple upon which King David offered the Ark of the Covenant in worship. Mount Moriah is the place where the Dome of the Rock now stands. It is the Temple Mount. That's where God sent Abraham from Beersheba to that location. And now offer your son to me. Well, when Abraham finally arrived, he was ready to kill him with a knife in a hand. God said, stop. Now I know that you will obey me no matter what I ask. There is an animal over here. Take that animal and sacrifice it instead of your son. And of course, it's a beautiful picture that Christ is our substitute to die for us so that we don't have to die. But what I was attracted to by Abraham's attitude is that he was going to worship God. He was going to give his best to God. He was not going to worship on the Temple Mount for what he could get out of it because he's going to lose everything that he loves. He was willing to give everything that he loved so they could worship his God. And so for Abraham, it was not to be comforted. It was not to be easy. It was costly. It was sacrificial. It was uncomfortable. And he came and he worshiped God. I want us to somehow think about that a little bit more. That when God invites us to worship him, he's inviting us to a significant act of humility that's all about him and not about me anymore. So we need to remember the meaning of worship. Why why do we come to worship? What is this all about? What was God's original intent and design behind this going all the way back to Abraham? You look at the Greek word for worship that's used in the New Testament, pros kineo. Pros means to or towards. Kineo means to kiss. The word worship that Jesus used means to kiss God. It means to pay homage to God. It's to show reverence to God. Jesus uses this word worship in John chapter 4. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And so when Jesus didn't say a lot about worship, but when he did talk about worship, this is all that he had to say to the Samaritan's woman. You don't worship in Jerusalem. You don't worship in Samaria. What I'm most interested in is that you remember who is the object of your worship. And he says, the object of your worship is God. It's the Father. Who does he want us to worship? He says, for such people the Father seeks for us to be his worshipers. Now, of course, we say, oh, I, I know that. I sort of know that. And God says, I want you to orient your heart and your mind towards that. He says, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. I want a good balance. Some songs are are very spiritually heartfelt, but sometimes they lack the truth. Other songs are built around a whole lot of great truth. I grew up with great hymns of the faith. I think of the great hymn, And Can It Be. I mean, man, that is like seminary singing through that song. It's a wonderful song, but man, it's heavy truth. But what we want is a combination of both. And sometimes the songs we sing are, are maybe light on truth but heavy on heart or they're heavy on truth but light on heart. And God says, I want it both. I want you to find those things that help have it both ways. It reminded me, I always like to go back to this, sometimes, sometimes we have ten, can, ten man worship and sometimes a scarecrow worship. The ten man in the Wizard of Oz says, if only I had a heart. Scarecrow said, if only I had a brain. And sometimes in worship, I 
thank God if it only had heart or we only had truth. God wants us to balance between the two, to bring us to the point of that sweet spot of worshiping him, to make it about him. So I need to remember the purpose of worship. Why do we come and worship God? We come to worship God to glorify him, to honor him, praise him. Now let me confess something to you. Over the last few months, uh, Joy and I had a sabbatical. We're three months away because of some pastoral changes that we've had here, which is fine. So for three months, we didn't come to worship at Calvary. And we miss Calvary. We miss the friendships. It's, it's hard to visit churches every Sunday and you don't really know anybody. It's like going to eat dinner at someone's house and you're just a guest. And, you know, you, you never can kick back and throw your feet on the coffee table and turn on the TV. You just don't feel quite at home. Well, every time you go visit, then we would experience worship in a different way. Now, here's my confession to you. One church that we went to, that I I think I went alone on this particular church, I walked in and said, man, this music is just way too loud for me. So I sort of stepped outside because it was just too loud, and then I listened to the message. And the message didn't have a lot of biblical content, but it was practical and helpful on marriage. It felt like something that I would go to a seminar on Friday night and Saturday morning to hear about in a hotel lobby somewhere. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, and I'm not saying I don't need help with my, you know, husband-like traits. But I didn't feel like I was getting what I came for. Then I went to another church, and I remember thinking, man, I don't know a song that this group is singing. I never heard of any of these songs. I was sitting there saying, how how does anybody know? Is anybody worshiping? I don't know the words. I can't sing songs. I don't know. I don't understand them. Why don't they sing some songs that at least I know so I can somehow sing along? And it makes me feel it's like comfort food to hear the old hymns, you know. And we went to another church, and they did have some old hymns. But it felt so slow. I felt it lacked energy. I felt the worship leader was sort of lethargic. I thought, you need to spice this thing up so I can get into it. And what I realized I was doing is that every church that we were visiting, now I know you don't do this, but as we go to the car and sit in the car and drive home, that that was pretty lousy worship, man. That, That soloist didn't have a very good voice. That was really disappointing. I didn't know any of the songs. It's too loud. The message wasn't biblical. And Just sort of, you know, gripe, gripe, gripe all the way home. And then God convicted me. And God said, Dave, why did you come to church again, Tommy? Uh, Let's see, I wanted to hear some songs I really like and I want to hear a message that was really good for me. God said, wait, Dave, I am the audience, God said. You are there to be the choir. You are there to worship me. Dave, you've made all those churches that you gripe about. It's all about you now. What do you think? You're God? God says, I don't want you to take my place. You don't go to any church for what you get out of it, Dave. You go to church for what I receive from it. Because God is the audience. I am the choir. Those who are up here are the leaders of the choir, you and me, out there. And we are here to praise God. It's to glorify Him. It's not for what I get. It's for what God 
receives. And the more I thought about that, the more biblical truth I began to see that brings more clarity as to what what are we supposed to be doing here on Sunday mornings? What's this all about? So that when we walk out this door, God's not complaining, nor are we, because God was exalted, and we were enriched like breath to our lungs. So we glorify God. We praise Him. We glorify God individually by how we live our lives day by day. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I should be worshiping God tomorrow morning if I'm going to school, if I'm going to work, if I'm going to the club, if I'm at home taking care of the children. Whatever I am doing tomorrow, I am there as a sacrifice a living and holy sacrifice, which is my spiritual service of worshiping Him. Not only that, but we glorify God corporately. God invites us into the big body, the big body of Christ, so that we gather together and have meaningful interaction with one another. Psalm, 1, Psalm 35, verse 18 puts it this way, I'll give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. God says, I want you to gather together with one another so that in the mighty throng, as he calls it, in the great congregation, as as the psalmist says, I want you to gather together, not for what you're going to get out of it, but for what God will receive from it. So God begins to change my thinking as to why am I here? What is the point? To fix problems in my life? That may happen. But ultimately, God says, worship to kiss God is to honor Him. It begins to change my whole orientation as to the motivation as to my presence on a Sunday morning. I love the way Martin Luther puts it. He says, I'm at home in my house. There is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart. And it breaks its way through. There's something that happens collectively and corporately when I gather with others who are here to worship and honor God as God waits upon us to worship Him. We also know that we want to worship God through other means as well. We worship God and remember Him through the sacraments, the cup, and the bread. As Paul writes about it in Corinthians, he says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Drink the cup in remembrance of me. As we worship after the message, we invite you to come to the various places around the room that have the cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus, the bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. It, it helps us to remember him. I know that we don't forget him, but sort of like my wedding ring. I wear my wedding ring not so I can uh, remember, oh, that's right, I'm married, you know. It's not like, Oh, yeah, I'm married. I shouldn't do that. Um, I wear it because it shows that I remembered my wife, that I belong to her. We come and we take the elements. We make them available every Sunday. So that, not that you forgot about God, but that you can come and say, yes, I remember you, Lord. I, I belong to you. So we come with that in mind. But we also come and remember for God for what 
he has done for us. Kind of who he is and what he has done. First Chronicles 16 is one of those great passages that, that exalts the name of God. I'm going to invite John Reed, one of our elders, to come on up here. And uh, John's going to read First Chronicles 16, verses 7 through 36. The background of this passage is King David. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant to what is Mount Moriah, where Abraham brought Isaac. Here it is, hundreds of years later. And then they bring this Ark of the Covenant as an act of worship before God. And David then breaks into this beautiful psalm of prayer. Some of these are psalms that he's written. But listen to the words, the words that exalt the name of God. It's very God-oriented. And it's powerful that God was honored through those words. John. Then, on that day, David first assigned Asa and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord. And his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds. Which he has done. His marvels. And the judgments. From his mouth. O seed of Israel his servant. Sons of Jacob. His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham. And his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few in number, very few, and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation. And from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them. And he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim good things of his salvation. From day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring in an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him, all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his goodness is everlasting. Then say, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us. And deliver us from the nations. To give thanks to you. To your holy name. And glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. From everlasting even to everlasting. Then all the people said amen. amen. And praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Great words. Thank you, man. Love you. Love you. Thank you. That is what you call a God-oriented, God-focused worship. They came and gathered simply to give God glory because we glorify God. The worship is really for us. It's for believers in Jesus who want to gather together. Here's part of what John just read that David wrote and said. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all the wonders. Glory to his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. It's very God-oriented. Sometimes we get focused. I know I can get focused on what is in it for me. But God says, look, here's where you need to start your thoughts thought process. I put a little thing on the back of the outline that may or may not be relevant to you. I was thinking through some of the things that I know that I hear about, that I think about, that sometimes are distractions to why I'm really here, that get in the way of my heart and my mind to really worship the Lord. So that what are those things that are biblically taught, that are biblically important, that Scripture is fundamentally teaching us that should be part of worship. And, and what are those things that are sort of socially driven, culturally driven, things that I've just sort of acquired because of the where I live and how I live? And so I thought, which of these things are biblical things that I should be concerned about? Which are more socially or culturally driven issues? For example, my church should always gather at a time convenient for me because of my busy schedule. Should, should that be a biblically driven thing for us? Or are we falling into a trap of society? People should dress with a suit for men and 
dresses for women to show reverence to God. Are people in suits and women in dresses more biblical than the rest of us? I should dress in t-shirts and shorts to be authentic and come just as I am to God. Are shorts more authentic and real than wearing a shirt that's untucked? I can tell by how a person dresses whether that person is ready to worship. (laughs) Is that what I'm supposed to be thinking about? No. Worship should only be on Sunday. Coffee is to be served before church and donuts provided if you're really committed. (laughs) Hymns are about God. Hymns about God are more meaningful ways to worship. New modern songs that speak to God are more meaningful ways to worship. Use of lights, projected images, and artistic symbols distract from true worship. However, special stained glass windows depicting biblical stories, well, they add to worship. Or are they the same? Bulletins are essential. Drums and guitars should be the primary instruments. Ushers, could you? Piano and organ should be the primary instruments. Quiet music is more reverent than loud music. Loud music is needed to really worship meaningfully. All sermons should be 30 minutes long. Boo. My personal needs should always be met in worship. The offering plate should always be passed because online giving is less spiritual. And the primary reason for worship is to glorify and praise God, and that's biblical. Some of these things are just teasers in my own brain, perhaps for some of you as to what is it that is on my heart and my mind that sometimes gets me off track from why I am here corporately or why I live my life individually for God. Worship is not only for believers, it's for non-believers, for those who've, who've never put their faith in Christ. First Chronicles 16, 24 said, Tell us glory among the nations, among all the peoples. We worship, whether it's daily, Romans 12, 1 and 2, or corporately, Psalm 35 in the great congregation, we worship so that others can see the glory of God. When my life is God-directed and I've gotten rid of my selfishness and all, all it's all about me stuff and turn it all to about God stuff, then suddenly the glory goes to the nations, to all the peoples that are around me, my neighbors, my co-workers, my classmates. They see that my focus and my purpose is something higher than having my needs met. It's about what God is doing and who he is. But we also remember God not only through the sacraments, through worship, we we remember him through a variety of songs. We try to have a variety of songs. If you go to heaven someday, when we get to heaven, we will have a variety of songs. There's a great song that's out there I can only imagine. Well, Revelation, the book of Revelation, doesn't leave everything to our imagination. Because the book of Revelation is worship in heaven. And the worship in heaven, we see a variety of songs that I wanted to list some of them for you. For example, when we get to heaven, there will be biblical and very old songs that we will sing. If we died and went to heaven today, we would be singing Revelation 15, 3 and 4, that song, because it says there, they sang the song of Moses. These are saints in heaven now using this song. And if we went to heaven today, that song is 3,000 years old. So there are some old songs that are wonderful and should be used today. We also know that when we get to Revelation 14, verse 3, we will sing a new song. 
So when we get to heaven, like Josh introduced us, some of us to a newer song, and we'll see another one later on here this morning, new songs are a good thing too because we should always be expanding our worship vocabulary as to how we honor and praise and glorify God. So we grow in our knowledge of new songs. There are testimonial songs in Revelation 14. The 144,000 that are listed there, it says there that only they can sing that song that they sing there in heaven. Why? Because they're the ones who are persecuted for their faith. And they alone have the right to sing the words of that testimony. So like Horatio Spafford has written the song, When Peace Like a River, because it tells the story of the loss of his family on the ship. It's a testimony of his his life, and he honors God. Some, some people, when you write a song, it may be a song that only you feel like you're worthy of singing, although we may want to join in, but there are testimonial songs. We encourage that, that comes out of the flow of my life, that glorifies God. There are theological songs that are about God. In Revelation 4.3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we sing about Him and His holiness. We exalt Him. But not only that, but we sing a song that is prayerful to Him. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God. So some songs are more about God and describes who He is. Other songs are an act of worship of saying prayerfully, God, you alone are the God that I worship. They're both good. And then we also know that in worship in heaven, there will be times when it's very loud, very loud, and there are no earplugs in heaven. And so we're going to worship loud, We're also going to worship quietly in Revelation chapter 8. There in that passage it says, And there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Silence in heaven for 30 minutes because of something that God had just done. There should be times in our worship when it's quiet and silent. There should be times in our worship when it's loud and boisterous. But it should also be a time of this crescendo that uh, I encourage you to read in Revelation 5, 8 through 14, where it tells the account of a choir that begins to sing, then angels begin to join in, then everybody in heaven above the earth and below the earth and animal life all begins to worship and glorify God. It's this growing crescendo of loud worship of God. So God says, "That's, that's heaven. That's just a taste, a tiny little smidgen of a taste. And so God invites, it in, invites us into that today, that we would be like that corporately, that we would be like that individually, that our lives are exalting the name of Jesus, that we live for him, and that like an Abraham, when God came to Abraham, he says, Abraham, we're going to have a worship service. Oh, good. Yeah, it's up there 45 miles from here, Mount Moriah. All right, take your son with you. Okay. And by the way, Isaac is the sacrifice of that worship experience. Oh, can you imagine walking for 45 miles and in your heart and your mind, you're looking at your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and you're going to offer him as a burnt offering to God. That's what Abraham did. That's not comfortable. That's not easy. That's costly. That's sacrificial. But God saw Abraham's heart and he says, you are fully on board with me as your God. So here's a substitute. I would never ask you to take the life of your son. 
And Jesus is our substitute because he doesn't want to take our life. But when we come before God and worship, part of our worship is offering. It's offering our lives, but it's offering our, our things, money, cars, whatever it is. We give it all to God because Isaac was given by God to Abraham. Now out of that he gives back to God. So all that I own is belonging to God and out of that I give back to God. And I love Abraham because Abraham was willing to give his very best. So God invites us in worship that out of all that we have and all that we are, we give our best to God. We honor him. So we're going to receive our offering here at this after I pray as a way for us to express, Lord God, through my offering, I also worship you like Abraham. But after the offering, then we invite you to come to the tables. We have uh, the, the communion bread and cups to symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus. Come up as the worship is going on after the offering and worship him by remembering what he has done sacrificially. We have prayer points on either side. We encourage you to come up and pray. We would love to pray with you that God would minister to your heart whatever you're going through, that God would be the focus to minister to that need, that we worship the Lord together and honor his name. Let me pray. Father, help us because, Lord, I know that in my own heart there are many distractions to you. There are many things that get in the way of me and you. The many other thoughts that can come into my mind that are not honoring to you, that move me away from a heartfelt, truthful-based worship of your name. God, I know that my selfish ways can easily distract me from the holiness of glorifying your name. Help me help us to be always a living and holy sacrifice, which is our spiritual service of worship. That offering to you our lives and our offering to you our offerings are one of those ways as an expression of glorifying your name. Thank you. Help us, God, as we worship now to see you on the throne, that you are our audience and we are your choir, that we want to glorify who you are and what you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.